All right, all right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Man, I hope everybody is doing good. Man, I hope that you had a great holiday. Maybe it looked a little different this year, maybe it didn't. But man, I hope you had a great time. Man, I hope you're able to relax, refresh, eat a lot, and then let's try to work those pounds off. You know, we'll talk about that in a minute. But man, it's great to be here this morning as we begin our new Advent series. And I don't know if you realize this when you woke up this morning, but the Advent season is here, all right? If you didn't realize, tell yourself right now, the Advent season is here. And I know a lot of y'all don't like to talk to yourself, so just like whisper to your neighbor real quick, the Advent season is here. Come on, let them know, let them know. All right, now that might be a shock to some people, but there's no doubt that you realize that the Christmas season is here because Christmas music has already started taking over normal radio stations, all right? Christmas decor is all over the stores, and maybe your own Christmas decor has made its way from the attic down to wherever you decorate, all right? Uh, I don't know where you live, but my own neighborhood has already started being taken over by Christmas inflatables, all right? Watch out. They're coming, and they're kind of creepy, all right? They kind of lay in a puddle of themselves during the day, but when the sun sets and everybody has these automatic timers, Man, it's kind of creepy to just watch them inflate and kind of look at you with those fake eyes that they have. But man, Christmas season is here, but that's not what we're talking about today. I mean, we're talking about the Advent, and the Advent season is upon us. And the Advent season, like was already shared by the Hudson family, man, it's a season where we stand right in the middle of two realities. Advent means the arrival or the coming. So here we are, we're caught in the in-between, and as believers, we're reminded that there already wasn't an arrival. See, there was already this long-anticipated and long-expecting coming that took place in the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, I mean, we find hope in that. We look back at what has already happened, but now we also stand here looking forward to what will happen. And so there was a arrival that already took place in Christ's birth, and there will be a second coming, and that is also the arrival that we anticipate. And so we stand here. Actually, at this moment, most of us sit here, all right? And you're sitting here, and you're waiting, and you're longing, and we're right there in the middle of this tension. We're looking back in remembrance, but we're also looking ahead with a longing and expectation, and so as I break that down, man, I'm quickly reminded that as a little kid, I had no idea what the Advent was really about. I had no clue. Uh, maybe, maybe it was being taught and maybe it was being shared, but I have my focus some other place because what I did know is that in this particular season, I was filled with a real longing. Man, I was filled with a deep angst, and I was filled with this uh, anticipation of looking forward, this extreme hope, but it was centered around presence. Man, I, I, I had all my anticipation, all my longing, everything that I was focusing on was just presence, and I don't know how your family does Christmas, all right? We all do it a little bit different, and that's what makes it special. Now, there's some of y'all that Christmas morning is this free-for-all. Man, it's a bunch of, like, 
chaotic mess, and that's a beautiful thing, all right? And then there's some of y'all that maybe you feel you're a little more structured, you're a little more civilized, all right? And there's a little bit more strategery that takes place, and one person opens the gift, and we all say, wow, and then another person opens the gift, and maybe you take turns, and you're kind like that, all right? Man, some of your families, you can't wait that long. Y'all know the families who I'm talking about. Man, you get to open up one gift the day before Christmas. It's that Christmas Eve gift, all right? And so no matter what scenario you find yourself in or you remember growing up in, there's something to be said about the first gift that you put your hands on. Because as a little kid, I had always felt that the first gift that comes my way, it is going to set the stage for whatever other gifts come after that gift. In fact, man, it was that gift that was going to set the tone for Christmas. It was either going to be a great Christmas or it was going to be a failure. Man, it was all hinting on that gift. And I still remember to this day being a young little kid and getting my hands on that gift. It was my turn to open the present. All eyes are on me. And here I am, man, longing, anticipating, and just filled with so much hope that I rip into this present only to find a scientific calculator. I don't know why you're laughing. See, some of y'all, you hear the word scientific calculator and you're like, hey, okay, that's a pretty cool gift, all right? You can do things with that, and I applaud you because you probably have lived a, a great life and had a great career as a CPA, all right? You're probably the life of the party, and that calculator probably replaced your abacus, all right? And, and so that's great for you, but as a little kid, that's not what I was waiting for. That's not what I was longing for. In fact, man, I see that calculator and I didn't even know how to use it, all right? Like it wasn't a calculator, it was a scientific calculator, all right? And so I didn't even know what to do with it. Man, up to that point, all I really did with calculators was turn them upside down and try to spell naughty things with, the, you know, the, I don't know if any of y'all did that, all right? But, but that's what I would do with the calculator and, and here it was. Man, I had this gift and it was kind of like a gut punch. Man, I opened up this gift, and it's a calculator. It wasn't what I wanted, and the bottom just fell off. You know, it just, like, dropped out, and, and really what I was thinking was, are you kidding me? Man, what am I going to do with this? Like, I get that it's productive. I get that it'll probably make me a better student, but this is not the Nintendo Entertainment System that I was longing for, all right? Man, I was looking for that cartridge that has Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt, all right? Man, a couple games in one, but instead I got this calculator, and man, I was crushed. Man, it wasn't even the groundbreaking TI-83, all right? It was something that was way older than that. It was lame. It was boring. It was a calculator. But the reality of the story is that it says a whole lot more about me than it really does about that calculator. But the reason why I share that this morning is I believe that in all of us, there's something that we can relate to in this example because I believe that we can all identify with putting our hopes into something. Putting our hopes into something where we long after it. Man, we hope for it. We wait for it. And we're eagerly anticipating what will be. But when we get to that moment, we're actually disappointed. Man, only to find ourselves kind of let down by the situation. 
And so this story that I share with you is one that I think that can point us to bigger stories that we've all experienced in our own lives. And it's the idea about misplaced hope. And so I want to ask y'all, man, where are you placing your hope? Because when it comes to misplaced hope, you've done it, I've done it, you're doing it, I'm doing it. Man, there are things and there are people and there are situations that we're placing our hope in that ultimately leave us unsatisfied. They ultimately disappoint us. And for some reason, we continue to put our hopes in those things. We misplace our hope and we put them in the wrong things. We put them in person. We put them in a people. We put them in a government. We put our hopes in an election. We put our hopes in an ideology or a system, and we're putting it in things like success or a future promotion or getting into a certain college. Whatever the case may be, we're placing our hopes in a thousand different areas except the place that we ought to put it in. And man, this reminds me of what the great cowboy Augustus McRae once said, if you're familiar with the story of Lonesome Dove. See, you know, Gus, he had a friend, his co-cowboy person, Jake Spoon, the other cowboy. And basically, Jake is promising Lorena that he will take her away from this old, dusty town of Lonesome Dove and give her what her heart longs for. Give her what her heart is waiting for, what her heart desires, and to take her to San Francisco. And Gus, looking at Jake and knowing that Jake is actually somewhat a scoundrel, says this right here. He says, Jake is too leaky of a vessel to put that much hope in. If you're familiar with the story or maybe you watched the movie instead, you know the book goes on to have Gus continue to say, but then again... All vessels leak to some degree. And so I want us to kind of think about that right there, that phrase, all vessels leak to some degree. The places that we choose to put our hope are misplaced because those vessels cannot even contain our hope. They're leaky vessels. Everything on this side of heaven leaks to some degree. Everything on this side of eternity is not sufficient, but leaky instead. And so the question that I want to ask y'all this morning, and we'll put it up on the screen, is this right here. If everything leaks hope, then what or who can hold my hope? If everything out there is insufficient, instead of misplacing my hope in those things, then where or who can I actually place my hope? And so to do this properly, we got to understand the word hope. And I think it's a word that we understand because we use it quite well. It's in our daily vernacular. We use it in our vocabulary day after day after day when we say things like, man, I hope it stops raining soon. Man, I hope I find the one, all right? Man, I I hope my in-laws would leave soon. Not mine. They live next door, all right? Uh, man, man, we hope these extra Thanksgiving pounds that we put on won't stick around, but we'll be able to shed them real quickly, all right? Man, we hope 
for all these things. Man, we hope that we don't overspend. We hope our kids can adjust to school in these crazy times, doing it in person and then online and then it being shut down and then going back. Man, we hope, we hope, we hope. We hope for this and we hope for that. Man, we are hoping for all these things. We use this word all the time. And in Scripture, man, the word hope is actually used over 200 different times. And so as you begin to pull out and try to do a word study on each one of these occasions, basically you can summarize the the meaning of hope like this. Hope means a confident and expectation in the future. Basically, what it's trying to say is it's a, you know, a continuous enthusiasm for what will come. No matter what our situation is right now, no matter where we find ourselves, man, whether we find ourselves at the top or whether we find ourselves at the low, we have hope that we are going to get through this. We have hope that we're going to get to the other side. We are able to attack every situation with enthusiasm, with confidence, with that expectation that we find in having hope. There's a blessing in this hope. Hope is a good thing. And so if we go back to that question that we just asked a few moments ago, if everything leaks, then who or what can I put my hope in? Man, I want to try to answer that question by looking at this verse that is found in Romans chapter 15. So if you have your Bible in front of you, or you want to use the one in the pew, or you have it on a smartphone, man, just go ahead and make your way to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to spend some time in verse 13. And so as you tap, scroll, or turn that page and find that verse, man, I want to kind of give you a little context of what is happening in the book of Romans. When we talk about Romans, we got to understand that Paul is the author of the book of Romans. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Rome, and it's basically considered one of Paul's greatest masterpieces. Maybe some would say it is his crown jewel. It's a wonderful letter. And in the book of Romans, man, Paul, in this letter, Paul outlines through chapters 1 through 11 a beautiful bedrock of theology. May he begins to talk about all of us being condemned before the Lord, but this good and gracious God has come and made a way for us. He talks about the promise that was given to Abraham, and he talks about other promises as well. And in chapter 5, he talks about justification. In chapter 6 and 7, he talks about sanctification. In chapter 8, he talks about glorification. And then he goes on to talk about how God is calling people unto himself. And he's laying out this beautiful truth of our salvation in chapter 12. Then he turns the talk into a different direction. And he starts talking about how these truths aren't just some old wise tales. They're not just some old dusty truths that get pulled off of a bookshelf. But instead, these are actually at work Men, they're at work in your life, and they're at work in my life, and they're working themselves out on the daily. Men, he's going to continue with chapters 12, 13, and 14, and even 15 with this mindset. And it's like then there's a moment that Paul has just 
basically pinned through the power of the Holy Spirit where he has given us this unbelievable doctrinal work and he has laid out the compelling and beautiful and rich theology of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then it's almost like he puts down his pen and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he breathes out this prayer for us. So basically he ends this book in chapter 5, and he puts the exclamation point using verse 13, and there's this moment where Paul's hope is shared for his readers. And it's Paul's hope for the church, and I believe that it could be our hope for our church this morning. And so in verse 13, it's on the screen, maybe you can read along with me, but it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And right out of the gate is that phrase, may the God of hope. May the God of hope. I want y'all to check this out because God is both the source of hope and he's our supplier of hope. God is the ultimate plug, like he's the source and supplier of hope. And you see that this right here, right from the beginning, where the Apostle Paul says, may the God of hope. He's declaring something about the essence and the nature of the God who we serve. God is just not the inspirer of hope, all right? He's author's hope. He's not just some talk show host that's going around and saying, Here's some hope. You get some hope. You get some hope. You get some hope. Man, he's more than that. Man, he's not just handing out hope, but he describes this as God's very essence of who he is. It's not just that God is just giving away hope, but it's descriptive of his very nature and God's very character. The God who we serve is a God of hope. But here's the thing. See, the beautiful truth about this reality is that hope is not based on probabilities. But instead, hope is based on promises. See, we need to take note of that because a lot of times our hope is not based on promises, but instead we do the opposite. We base our hope on probabilities, and that is the problem. That's how we have these misplaced hopes. Let me see if I can break it down. See, misplaced hopes, they're based on probabilities. Like if we find ourselves saying, man, I think I have a good job at this promotion, or I think if I could take the right amount of money and put it in my 401k and then let the interest you know, create this nest egg. Like, like we're talking about things and we're hopeful about those things, but all those things are based on probabilities, but that's not how God works. Man, in the book of Titus, in chapter one, verse two, when it's talking about the hope that is found in God, Paul actually phrases it this way, and not only is there a hope, but this is a God who cannot lie. Man, remember that. Build your foundation upon that. Don't put your hope in these other things. Instead, place your hope in a God who never lies. See, God is a God of hope. I mean, it's different. We're not banking on, you know, probabilities. Instead, we're banking on promises. 
and we're banking on promises from God, and we're banking on promises about God, and we're banking on promises that God made himself. Man, he goes on to say that our hope is not based on, you know, these things. Like Paul says, may the God of hope, may the one who authors it, may the one who sourced it, may the origin of hope, may the God of hope, may he do something. And so as we keep on reading, it says this, may the God of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill us. Man, I love that phrase. I love that word, fill us. Man, if you ask somebody to fill you up a glass of sweet tea and they only put you about this much in there, you would look at them like they're crazy. Man, I always was taught that may you fill up the cup until you get to that little rim around the top of it, all right? Maybe y'all don't have that rim. Like, all of our cups come from, like, Dickies or, like, you know, Bottle Cap, Rib Crib. And so you get to that rim. But when I'm making sweet tea for my wife, my wife is like, why'd you stop right there? Like, you could pour more in there. Like, she wants me to fill it all the way up that I feel uncomfortable trying to get it to her because I'm probably going to overflow and spill some of that. But this is what the God of hope does. Man, he fills us. He fills us up so much, and he does such a good job that we then overflow into others. And he says, may the God of hope fill you. So what does he want to fill us with? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Man, joy and peace, they're like the dynamic duo. See, when, joy talk, when, when Paul talks about joy, he doesn't talk about joy alone, but he talks about joy and peace together because they work together. And Paul, the, man, he's, he's the author in the New Testament that uses the word joy more than any other author, all right? That's kind of like a slanted kind of, you know, uh, you know, percentage because he wrote most of the New Testament. But anyways, he uses it 21 different times, says the word joy. He explains that the joy is the mark of a Christian. Man, joy. So what type of joy is he talking about? He's not talking about somebody that has a bubbly personality. He's not talking about getting in our feelings. Man, he's talking about an inward satisfaction of the soul. That's the joy that he's talking about, and it's paired with this peace, and they work together. And when he's talking about peace, man, there he's not talking about the inward satisfaction, but he's talking instead about the inward settleness of the soul. And so this joy and this peace, they work together to not only satisfy our soul, but also to settle our soul. And they work together to accomplish this thing. And he's praying to the people of God that they would be filled with joy and filled with peace. And these things are working together. And the greatest thing about this is these things, they're not just personality traits, but they're more than that. They're the fruit of the Spirit. I think we can be reminded of Paul's words to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, where Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh, I don't know if y'all's scripture raises a voice like that, but mine does, all right? And, 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 and so he goes on and on, and he says, this is what he would have us to be filled with. When we place our hope in the right place, this is where we are filled with, this is what we are filled with, 
joy and peace. And so what Paul is praying for, what he's asking for the people of God is that we would be filled with these things. But why? It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And see, I think this is very important for us to notice because this is kind of like the interplay of God working in and through us because this is about what we believe. And so if you follow the thread all the way through the book of Romans, in believing, that phrase means that you have placed your love and your trust on the confidence that even though you were against God, God has given you a way out. And we understand that earlier on in the fifth chapter of Romans, verse 8, he says, while you were still sinners, when he offers us a way out because Christ died for us. And so then he goes on and he says this phrase, so that. He says, may the God of hope fill you with these fruits of the Spirit so that we could see this inner working of the Holy Spirit in us and that we would be believing in the truths and the promises that he's given us so that, and then he goes on, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The thing I love about this prayer, the thing I love about this truth is it's booked in with hope. It starts off with hope. May the God of hope allow you to abound in hope. And so it's on both sides of it. I mean, he's saying, I pray that you would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and as you work through the Spirit and it works through you, man, you will be able to understand these things and you will be able to apply these things and so that the Holy Spirit would be able to give you these things. And the great thing about the one who supplies hope is, man, he has an abundant supply of it. He's saying he will give us this hope, but he will never run out of what he is supplying us. And so, church family, I want to try to challenge us with three things as we close, and it's this right here. Number one, over the next 25 to 30 days, man, my hope is that you and I would get into the Word more often. You know, it's going to get busy. Like, you can't outrun the holidays, and if you're not careful, you will be put into a holidays, all right? And so here's the thing. You can't run from it. But instead, in the midst of it, ground yourself with the truth that is found in God's Word. Man, how do we place our hope in the right thing? May we get into the Word of God. We increase the regularity in which we get into the Scriptures, and we study God's word so that way we will know God's word and so that we can apply God's word to our life. And the second thing that I want to encourage you with is this right here, this challenge. Man, I encourage you to identify some of the misplaced hopes that are in your life. That's going to be tough. That's going to step on some of your toes. Man, where are you placing hope that should be placed in God, but instead we're placing it in something else, maybe our job, maybe our promotion, maybe our income, maybe the things of earth that we long for, that we desire. Identify some of those things. Ask God to show you some of those things. 
and then work on trying to take your hope instead of placing all those things, place it on our Heavenly Father instead. And the last thing is this right here. My hope for our church, for you and I, is that we will wash our souls with God's promises. We will wash our souls with God's promises. See, Scripture is filled with the promises of God. And like we said earlier, we write checks that we can't cash, but God is not like that. And what God says he will do, he will do. And so over the next couple of weeks in this Advent series, my challenge is that we would spend time in the Scripture more regularly, that we would identify those places that we've misplaced hope, and that we would put the promises of God on our heart to replace the doubt and the lies that come creeping in. Man, that we would remind ourselves that this is true. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that this is true. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. He is with me through all things, that this is true. Man, I'm a new creation, even though I feel dirty, even though I feel full of shame. Man, I'm a new creation in Christ. And we would allow our souls to be covered in those promises. And that's how we defeat. And that's how we combat misplacing our hope. See, this body that doesn't work right, maybe we're cranky, maybe we're full of disease, like we understand that one day all things are going to be made right. And that's what we're hoping for. On that day, that second coming, that's what we're longing for. And I'm not saying that the season will get any less busy, and I'm not saying that it won't be any less crazy or less frustrating, but maybe you'll be able to capture something that you would have otherwise missed when you take the hope that we place in so many of the wrong things, and instead we put it in the eternal thing. We put it in our Heavenly Father. And if you would, I want to bow, ask you to bow in prayer with us, and As you bow your head, man, I want to just ask that you would ready yourself for a time of reflection on what has been presented through God's Scripture. See, for some of us, man, we've done just that. We've misplaced our hope. We put it in the wrong things. We put it in things that we think would satisfy us, but they don't. Man, we put it in things that we think would give us joy, but they don't. But instead, may the God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit would abound in us full of hope. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray for our church family today. God, I pray that we would be willing over the next couple weeks to really, you know, understand that this is not necessarily a busy time of commercialism, but instead this is a time that we can be reminded and we can be refocused and we can replace our hope 
not in these things that don't offer satisfaction, but instead in the things that give us complete joy and peace. And that's in you, our source and our provider of hope. God, I pray that you would challenge us. And if there's anybody in here today that needs prayer, I pray that they would understand that they could come to the altar. There will also be some elders outside that would be willing to pray for them. God, if there's somebody here today, a family that's looking for a church home, maybe they could start that conversation today with one of our elders that says, I would like to know more info about Ridgecrest. God, I pray that as we have all these things surrounding us, all these things swirling around that we place our hope, let us understand that Christ is better than all those things. Even when things are going well, Christ is better than that. Even when things are at an all-time low, man, Christ is better than that. And we have hope that he will get us through those situations. God, thank you that our hope is founded in you. In your name we pray. Amen.